Good afternoon, and welcome to Free to be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. One area of particular concern for Christians, the unborn. Lutherans and others know that life begins at conception. Ending pregnancy ends an innocent life. Abortion exploded on the nation's doorstep January 22, 1973, with the infamous Roe v. Wade decision by the United States Supreme Court. The justices ruled 7-2 that abortion is a fundamental right under the United States Constitution, thereby uh, subjecting all laws attempting to restrict it to a standard of strict scrutiny. Prior to Roe v. Wade, an overriding reason, such as threat to the mother's life, had to be shown before an abortion could be performed. Since Roe v. Wade, abortion is simply a matter of choice by the pregnant woman. Since that ruling, more than 54 million babies have been aborted. The largest single abortion provider in the United States is Planned Parenthood. PP is a nonprofit organization. According to their own reports, More than 40% of its revenue comes from governmental sources. Pro-life groups organized and mobilized in the wake of the court's decision determined to preserve the sanctity of life. Every year since 1974, on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, pro-life people from all walks of life gather in Washington, D.C. and other cities around the country, giving voice to the unborn who cannot speak for themselves. One of the leaders in the pro-life movement is Tim Gigline, Vice President of External Relations for Focus on the Family. Gigline, who is a lifelong Lutheran, has a long career as a political writer and author. He also served in the White House during the administration of the elder George Bush. He's attended many of the March for Life demonstrations in the nation's capital. Tim Gigline is our guest today on Free to be Faithful. We'll discuss ongoing efforts to defund Planned Parenthood, the status of the pro-life movement in 2015, and pending cases before the United States Supreme Court. Free to be Faithful encourages our listening audience to ask questions. Our telephone number in the greater St. Louis area is area code 314-821-0850. Outside the St. Louis area in North America, the toll-free number is 800-730-2727. The program may also be contacted by email at townsquare at kfuo.org. On the line with me is Tim Gigline. Tim, how many of the uh, how many March for Lives is it now for you? Well, thank you so much. It's a great honor to be on KFUO and to be your guest, Kip. Um, this will be uh, thirty for me, uh, and of course, uh, it's uh, it's uh, thirty marches. Uh, that uh, all of us in the pro-life movement wish that we had never had to be a part of. Uh, but alas, uh, we'll keep marching uh, until justice is done. And it's interesting, my office at Focus on the Family is uh, directly across the street from the Supreme Court, and that's where I'm speaking from you, to you today and to your great listeners. And um, uh, on the back of the court, and I'm reading it as we speak, Uh, In the pediment above the Supreme Court in the back of the building, it says, Justice, the Guardian of Liberty. And, you know, those words should be ringing in our national ears as we commemorate uh, the infamous Roe versus Wade decision. I mean, not since Dred Scott, 
which has uh, all the infamy, um, you know, that uh, grew out of that, uh, of that case. Uh, have we had such a case that has been rooted in such injustice and, uh, and, and in such mayhem? Uh, and so there will be uh, quite literally hundreds of thousands of people uh, gathered uh, in and around the Supreme Court and coming all the way up uh, Constitution Avenue uh, after a beginning at the Washington Monument. And uh, we will uh, be civil. We will be diplomatic. Uh, we will be unapologetic. Uh, about the beauty and the sanctity and the dignity of every human life. Tim, I understand that the last two marches have attracted more than 600,000 people each. Is that how we're expecting this time around as well? You know, it really is remarkable. Every year, this march gets larger and larger, and it gets younger and younger. Uh, this is what, Kip, is so incredibly encouraging. Um, I remember uh, when I began uh, in, the, in those early first marches, um, you know, they were always very, very large, hundreds of thousands of people, buses from everywhere. Uh, uh, but the remarkable thing is that it was, it was common for people to say, uh, you know, can this momentum be sustained? Uh, you know, will we continue to attract uh, younger people? Uh, you know, it's easy to forget now, but there was a time in the pro-life movement uh, when, when, when people thought, uh, you know, that there might be sort of a moment where, uh, you know, where, where the momentum might not be as strong, where the demographic might not be as young. But the incredible, uh, hopeful, positive news, uh, I think God-ordained news, um, is that the demographic uh, for uh, the pro-life march gets younger and younger. And, Kip, I would go out on a branch and say the following. I would guess that more than... 75 to 80 percent of all of the marchers that we're talking about are 25 years of age and under. This is a, uh, a vital, it's an energetic, it's a dynamic uh, annual event. It's the largest annual protest or march uh, anywhere in the United States and in U.S. history. So if you were to add together all of the sheer numbers of people who have marched, from the first march, which began from the first year of Roe versus Wade, uh, you would uh, easily and quickly get into the multiple millions of people who have come uh, in, in, in protest uh, of this uh, terrible uh, decision. Tim, as you pointed out, the demographics are growing younger, and while the numbers are increasing, in fact, I know one of the speakers at today's demonstration will be Nathan Grime, who's a student at Concordia Lutheran High School. And we know that we have many delegations from Concordia and from other Lutheran schools all around the country who are gathering at Washington, D.C. And bearing in mind, Lutherans are not the only ones involved in this. There are people from all walks of life. There are many, many people who realize life begins at conception. To terminate it without reason is murder. You know, it's very interesting, uh, and, uh, and I, I use that word uh, very heavily and not lightly, but um, one of the most famous novelists of the 20th century uh, was a remarkable, uh, eloquent, uh, lucid writer, Walker Percy. Uh, and Walker Percy uh, was, a, uh, was, a, was a committed Catholic, uh, and uh, he wrote eloquently uh, about a variety of things. But he was also a medical doctor, and he had a way um, of, of, of promoting the pro-life case 
uh, not uh, just from uh, uh, you know powerful rhetoric, which is you know so needed uh, in uh, in our pro-life cause, but as a medical doctor, uh, he essentially said, "Let's begin at the beginning." You know, everyone uh, is entitled to his own opinions. To paraphrase uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, everyone's entitled to his own opinions, but not everyone is entitled to his own facts. And Walker Percy. Uh, you know, in a way that was remarkably analytical, said the pro-life uh, cause uh, begins uh, in human biology, uh, and human biology in the sciences uh, grows uh, from rationality, that, 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 that faith and reason go together, that they are not opposed. Almost like a Thomas Aquinas approach. Absolutely right. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and this is very consonant, th- this concept with our own Lutheran theology, because as, as Walker Percy pointed out, you can have all kinds of opinions, uh, you know, about uh, when you believe, uh, you know, uh, or, or pardon me, what you believe uh, the concept of life is. You can have, you know, opinions endlessly. But he said it is an incontrovertible fact that when an egg and a sperm come together, uh, you know, you have, as you say, uh, you know, the beginning of human life. Uh, and, and, and biologically, scientifically, rationally, uh, concurrent with our faith, that is a fact. It's not an opinion. Uh, and so we will continue uh, to march up Constitution Avenue, uh, rooted not only you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful Lutheran theology and the consecration and sanctity of life, but we will march up that avenue saying that it's also a key part of the foundation of justice. Uh, and we are, uh, you know, convinced. We are convicted uh, that until every person is welcomed into the world and protected by the law, in the great words of the late great Richard John Newhouse, until every person is welcomed into the world and protected by the law in the United States, uh, then we will not have completed, uh, you know, our destiny. Uh, with the, with the greatness of our country, uh, Tim, I'd like to do a review of of twenty fifteen, if you don't mind. Uh, that has been a very interesting year in terms of the pro life movement. We have the uh, Center for Religious for uh, Medical uh, Practice. Excuse me, I know I got that name wrong. The Center for uh, for uh, Medical Progress undercover videos that show those horrible, horrible interviews of these people blithely dismissing tissue and about how, oh, we have to do it this way so it's not so crunchy, so they can sell the body parts. Has this had an impact on the pro-life movement? I know it certainly did with me. Not only do I think it had an impact on the pro-life movement, I believe it's had a major impact on those who are pro-abortion. Um, uh, I don't know how many of your listeners have watched you know, all of the videos or part of the videos, or uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of portions of, of of some of those. But it is quite literally impossible. It's impossible to watch um, these. Um, it's really powerful journalism, is what it is. It is it, indeed, and the, yes. which I think is one reason why the pro-abortion side has been so. Uh, uh, so uh, vehement in their attacks and somehow claiming that, oh, this is all edited and taken out of context. Well, the raw footage is that they're available for anyone to see. It is not. This is what happened. A- absolutely right. And may I say, Kip, to that point, you know, we have antecedents in history. 
and I'll use the most obvious example. Uh, there is a little-known great film called Amazing Grace. And Amazing Grace uh, is the film of the anti-slavery movement, uh, the abolition movement, which began in England. And William Wilberforce, for those who are listening who don't know, was the member of parliament who uh, bravely, uh, in, in, in you know, valiant, chivalric, uh, you know, heroic terms, uh, led the abolition of slavery movement uh, in Great Britain. And this wonderful film about the life of Wilberforce and the life of the abolition movement uh, culminates uh, in a moment where Wilberforce has to convince uh, members of parliament uh, who are sort of on the fence about uh, the morality uh, and the dignity um, of slavery. And he arranges for them serendipitously to take a boat ride on the Thames. And he arranges the boat ride, this you know, very pleasant boat ride uh, with uh, spouses, uh, to essentially divert from their path and to go past the area uh, of the actual slave ships and slave trades. And the closer in this film that this boating party with members of parliament the closer the voting party gets to the putrid, terrible, god-awful uh, trade uh, uh, slave ships, uh, you see this incredible turn in, the, in these members of parliament that no matter how many opinions they have, when they actually view for themselves what, is, what this is actually about, not what it's about in, in, in the halls of academia or in the green rooms before media debates, but what it actually is, when you actually see it, uh, you know, your stomach turns and you realize uh, this is the most undignified, uh, unsanctified, uh, dehumanizing. It's an uh, abomination in the sight of God. Absolutely right. And so I, I feel very uh, certain that, uh, you know, God in his, in his providence and greatness uh, in the life of great nations occasionally clears his throat. Uh, and it is videos like this uh, in a time of the Internet and decentralization where for the first time en masse we are all taking a look specifically at what this is actually about. I'd like to take a little bit uh, of a closer look toward Planned Parenthood right now. Uh, we have, as I mentioned uh, one time, I think it's 54 million abortions have been, have been performed since Roe v. Wade. Uh, the CDC said that as of 2012, there were about 700,000 abortions annually. And I think that figure might be a little low. Uh, Planned Parenthood performs about one-third of them. Now, looking at Planned Parenthood's own numbers here, for fiscal year ending of 2014, their uh, budget was $1.3 billion, and more than 40% of that came from public funding, from governmental funding. Now, they say that none of that money is used directly for abortion, which is probably true, but what it does is it frees up other sources of their funding for abortion, for abortion uh, management. So basically, the taxpayer, whether they want to do it or not, are subsidizing this horrible, horrible practice. Now, the Congress just uh, recently, this month, tried to defund Planned Parenthood. It passed both houses of Congress. President Obama vetoed it. What does it say about the future of Planned Parenthood and perhaps even the future of the politics? Uh, I think what it says is that we have every right to be hopeful. 
Um, I have lived and worked in Washington, uh, you know, in many of those years at the White House in the U.S. Senate. And I can honestly tell you, Kip, that never in all of those years have I felt more confident, more hopeful, more optimistic than today. Why? Because cultural change, which is what we're talking about, is incremental. You know, when the Supreme Court makes a decision, uh, as they did in Dred Scott, you know, that a man is not really a man, uh, you know, when you have these major social disruptions, which are decided not in the democratic process, but by, le- but by a judicial fiat, it takes uh, just a moment to change the course of a culture, but it takes a long time uh, to, to, to unwrap and then to move toward cultural renaissance, renewal, and regeneration. And so any kind of, of, of cultural renewal, uh, you know, to, to move through something this major, takes lots and lots of years, it takes lots and lots of man hours, it takes lots and lots of time. You know, um, when the great cathedrals of Europe were built in the 11th and the 12th centuries, I mean, the really uh, most important cathedrals of Western history, when those cathedrals, literally on the, on the first day that they would begin building those cathedrals, uh, the construction workers would, would also plant seeds of trees because they knew that they themselves would never see the completion uh, probably as the original uh, builders of those cathedrals because they took so many years. They knew that by and large many of those uh, construction workers would never see the end of the cathedral, but that the, but that the sign of the tree, which would grow from a seed into a sapling into a beautiful tree and live hundreds of years, would actually be a demarcation and a metaphor uh, for patience and for time um, and, and for, you know, sometimes uh, for decades and maybe even in some instances for centuries. And I love that concept. You know, Luther was asked once, if this were your last day on earth, what would you do? And he said, plant a tree. I mean, I, I love that. And the fact of the matter is that in the abolition uh, movement, uh, in the movement for civil rights in America, the pro-life movement, we are part of something that's bigger and greater than ourselves. Well, Tim, I think just in our lifetime, I know certainly within mine, I vividly remember Dr. King. Yes, indeed. And, you know, prior to his time, racial segregation and the whole Jim Crow thing was more or less accepted by society. You bet. What King did was he didn't defeat his enemies, he converted them. Absolutely. Absolutely he did. You know, um, we, we, it's easy to forget, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860. If you would have told any of the men, any of them, and he had a team of rivals, as you know, for that nomination, um, many of whom ended up in his own cabinet, if you had asked any of them, of either party, including the Democrats, if you had asked them, will slavery, uh, you know, be abolished? Will the slaves be emancipated, you know, four or five years from now? Not a single one of those people would have said yes. You know, uh, the day that Dr. King was murdered, I mean, a lot of people felt uh, in the same way that the day that, that Abraham Lincoln was murdered. I vividly remember that day. Yes, a, a lot of people felt, my gosh, it's over, you know? It's over. All of our hopes and dreams are over, but they're not. Um, and, uh, and as Dr. King said, 
you know, the, that, that, that the arc of justice is long. It takes time. And so we will just keep being obedient. We will keep being faithful. And we will let God work out, you know, what constitutes ultimate success. We'd like to remind our listeners that they can ask questions or join in with comments. Our local line in St. Louis is area code 314-821-0850. Toll-free number in the North America region is 800-730-2727. And you can reach us by email at publicsquare at kfuo.org. Tim, we've got a couple of Supreme Court cases that are coming up this year that the court will be hearing. One is for the Little Sisters of the Poor, and the other one is Whole Woman's Health versus Cole. How do these affect the movement? These are major cases. The first, Little Sisters of the Poor, is about whether the federal government can compel uh, a remarkable order of nuns to uh, pay for abortion pills and contraception uh, as part of their health care. Now, if this seems irrational and crazy, it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the strangest uh, government policies in the history of strange government policies, that under Obamacare, somehow, constitutionally, you can mandate an order of nuns to pay for abortion. Uh, this is primarily a case of religious liberty and the rights of conscience, but it is absolutely underscored by a conscience right which is, can any order of nuns be compelled by the federal government to, to order a practice for its employees, which is uh, deeply in opposition to its most deeply held moral and religious principles? So the Little Sisters case, Kip, is both a, uh, a, a um, rights of conscience and a pro-life case, and we're watching it very closely. The second of those cases uh, actually stems from Roe against Wade, the infamous abortion case of 1973. And there was a clause uh, in that decision which talks about, quote, end quote, undue burden. In other words, uh, you know, can an undue burden ever be placed on an abortion-minded woman that gets in the way of what the court says is her constitutional right uh, to, uh, to end her pregnancy? Uh, there is a case called Casey. Uh, which came before the court in the early 1990s, it tested this proposition. Uh, and alas, it did not uh, lead to a pro-life nation. But this term, we have another case. It grows out of Texas. And the question is whether abortion clinics have to meet the absolute minimal standards for hygiene, administration, and all the things that we apply to admitting hospitals and doctor's offices. Uh, frankly, Kip, I'm more uh, uh, optimistic about the Little Sisters case and uh, praying deeply about the Texas case. Uh, it's a high bar. Uh, these cases are going to be argued in this term, and we will know the outcome of both of these pro-life cases no later than June. Well, we can keep our fingers crossed in that. I'm, I'm a little concerned because uh, in the Obergefell decision, uh, I noticed that both Justice uh, Thomas and Justice Roberts pointed out that although the majority said, well, you're perfectly free to talk about your religion, they really just stopped a little bit short of saying the Establishment Clause is there. You may practice your religion freely anywhere. And I'm a little concerned that the majority of the court may not feel the same way about religious liberty as uh, the rest of us. May I say I share your concern. Um, I believe it is probable that on the current Supreme Court uh, that we have four uh, liberals 
who will almost always decide in opposition uh, on the pro-life case. I think we have uh, three uh, pro-life justices who will almost always vote on the pro-life case, but we, we potentially have at least two swing votes. Uh, and so uh, this needs to be a subject of prayer. And I think there is a great sense uh, that uh, we have to follow this case, these cases very closely because, as you say and rightly point out, Kip, there are absolutely no givens. No, there aren't. And uh, just to bring it up, uh, Planned Parenthood, which is the largest single abortion provider in the United States, is a major contributor uh, for campaign contributions and various uh, and various lobbying org- organizations. They get around this by using uh, action groups rather than direct through themselves, so they, they maintain their uh, tax-free status. But uh, looking at it in uh, 2014, Planned Parenthood spent $6 million, and that was just it off here. This year, not even one month into it, Planned Parenthood, according to Open Secrets, has already committed $100,000, as well as endorsing Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination. First time in their history that they've ever done that kind of an endorsement. So this is a vital, vital election year coming up. Uh, It it absolutely is. And I want to underscore this with people, again, uh, who may not know. Uh, In the, and it depends on how you date it, but in the 100-year history of Planned Parenthood, Uh, that organization has never endorsed a person for the presidency. They've had lots of pro-abortion presidents, among them Bill Clinton uh, and uh, and President Obama. These two presidencies have uh, overwhelmingly been pro-abortion presidencies, most infamously uh, under uh, under under Bill Clinton. Um, so so hey, you're Tim, right. we've just got about thirty seconds left. So uh... no, no, you bet. Well, I, I I can stop there. Hillary Clinton <laughs> is absolutely and categorically the pro-abortion candidate of choice. And so it's very important for the electorate to go to the polls and know what their duty is as a Christian. Of course, we Lutherans recognize the two-kingdom concept. We're citizens of both, and God expects us to participate in both. Tim, I want to thank you so much for being the guest here on our program, and I hope that our people have learned a lot. I know I have. It's certainly been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kip. Every blessing. You too. You've been listening to... Free to be Faithful, a presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as a religious liberty and education awareness program. Free to be Faithful will air the third Wednesday of every month. Today's guest was Tim Gigline of Focus on the Family. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessing.